To have passion in life is everything. What's your Everest? Oh, is it yeah. that 200 inch box? They just look so impressive when they're wide. Especially running away. <laughs> Welcome to this week's episode of Eastman's Elevated. It's like a think tank for outdoor activity. Sounds exactly like my hunting. Just always thinking about it, always trying to evolve it and make it better. Here's your host, Brian Barney. Hey, what's going on, guys? I got a brand new Eastman's Elevated for you. So this week on the podcast, I have back on Mr. Ryan Lampers. So um, Ryan's just a consistent killer and a great guy. I have really enjoyed getting to know him, and he's just got all the attributes that that a backcountry hunter should. You know, he, he he's humble. He works super hard at his goals, and and whether that's keeping himself in in great physical shape, shooting his his equipment, whether it's his rifle or his bow, or map research and going into a new unit and being able to figure it out on the fly and adapt and evolve. But he's just one of the greatest public land hunters up out there. I get a ton of motivation from him. I, I really enjoyed this conversation. The the theme for it is adventure hunting, but we're we're both just getting back from our coos hunts that we did separately and, and getting back and sharing the stories of them and, and we're both just fired up and, and I really think that, that coos deer is one of the the coolest, most challenging funnest hunts that you can do out there so we get talking about coos deer and our experiences but there's tons of information in here about spot and stock hunting um you know about about different hunts you can do and 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 just improving and getting better so i really enjoyed the conversation i'm sure you guys are going to enjoy it too uh, sponsor for today's show is Taito knives Taito just makes a an ultra sharp ultra lightweight uh, hunting knife and these things are just amazing so it's a re- replaceable blade knife and 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 what you can do with these things just amazes me like once once I got my my first Taito and I could I could take it out and I could process an entire elk with one knife all of a sudden I don't have to bring multiple knives I don't have to bring sharpeners one ultra lightweight knife you know with a couple blades and really I can do an entire elk with with two blades but it's just so nice to be able to swap blades like elk hides are so thick being able to cape them or being able to split them when you're skinning and then just go to a brand new fresh blade is just amazing so these knives are awesome Um, I don't hunt with anything else this is what processes 100% of my game animals that I harvest whether it's uh, uh, mule deer elk antelope uh, axis on Hawaii like this is the knife I take so um, they just make an amazing product make sure to check them out they also make a, a fillet knife too which is really nice for um, you know slicing jerky really thin or or processing during the the butchering process like you then you you just take um, you know a, a sharp knife out of the equation you always have an ultra sharp knife that, that you're butchering with or that you're processing with so make sure to check them out uh, thanks to Taito Knives for their support of Eastman's Elevated. Okay, we also have a, a special offer um, for Eastman's Elevated. So this is a subscription offer. You can get both magazines, and then you can get our MRS book, which is a $69.99 value. You get all of that for $29.99 a year. Um, it, it just, uh, there, there's so much great information in there. The MRS book has all of, of 2018 statistics compiled in one book. And then when you get a subscriptions to Eastman's or Eastman's Bow Hunting Journal, you get the MRS, which is the Members Research Section. 
I always want to say supplement there, but uh, it's just this great section that gives you all this information that tells you, you know, what the, the best units are and what the best hunts for you are. It shows, you know, success rate. It shows counties that produce big Boone and Crockett, Pope and Young trophies, the best bow hunting write-ups on all these different units. So you can start to build yourself you know, a state by state analysis of, of tags you want to draw in the future. And, and then, you know, easy to get over the counter tags or, or low point tags. So it's just a great resource. Make sure to check it out. Um, you can, you can text elevated 319 to 22828. Again, that's elevated 319 22828 and uh, receive that special offer. So uh, make sure to check that out. And with that, um, here over there at Eastman's, we're just getting ready. We're going to record a good podcast. Um, it's going to be our 150th episode, so um, we're working to get all set up so we can get as many Eastman's on the uh, on the recording as we can and sit down. And uh, the theme of it is going to be, um, oh gosh, I uh, so I, I wanted to say uh, Ike had a. a, a some initials that he DS and and um, that he that he put for it, but basically uh, just mistakes that you've made in the field, idiot mistakes you've made in the field. So we're all going to share some idiot mistakes we've made, and then um, it, it it's also legal to throw in some idiot mistakes that you've seen or that you've had buddies make, you know, and and um, so you know you can you can tell a story that it was my friend which is actually you if you want to hide yourself but it should be a great fun recording those guys are, are great to get together with and it just got me thinking of, of all you know some of the the stupidest mistakes i've made and i hate making stupid mistakes I, um you know in anything in life in hunting and in in uh, driving you know whatever i'm doing like i try to um I try to negate any idiot moves or stupid mistakes, you know, backing boat trailers up or anything like that. You're just always trying to be careful. Unlike in my job in construction, you can't make stupid mistakes or somebody's going to get hurt or you're going to get hurt, you know. And so, um, you know, a, a lot of times your your safety or your life's on the line. But that's not to say I haven't made uh, a few over the years. So we're going to share a couple of these stories. I made this this one this time. Well, I should save it for the podcast, but I'll share this one because I've got enough of them. Um, I went duck hunting, loaded my dog up, and left my shotgun sitting against my tire and drove off without it. And I didn't realize I didn't have my shotgun until the next day when I went to go duck hunting and I and it wasn't there in my truck where I always throw it. And this has been quite a few years ago. But yeah, I actually set my 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 gun against my tire, drove off and left it there and somebody grabbed it from the fishing access site and never turned it in. I looked in the police records, but um what an idiot. You know, it's just like every once in a while you just make one of those mistakes, you just think, what was I thinking? And and um so <laughs> the defense of myself is that, uh, you know, I was loading up my dog and I was throwing the decoys up and worried about getting my dog in the truck. It was an icy cold day. Uh, so that's my excuse is that I, I was worried about everything else, you know, pulling my waders off and in jacket. But um, there's no excuse for leaving your shotgun, that's for sure. So look forward to that podcast, uh, 150th episode, and we're going to share some great stories about embarrassing stuff that we've done or that our buddies have done or or even that we've seen in the field. So it should be a fun one. And uh, with that, let's get this thing rolling. So um, really fun podcast with uh, Mr. Ryan Lampers, um, Eastman's Elevated. Here we go.
So um, we thought we'd get together and talk coos deer, and I really wanted to save the content for the podcast, but both me and you were so excited, we couldn't <laughs> help but start talking upstairs, but we finally uh, hit the record button. I uh, know. No, no sooner did uh, I step in the door here, and it went straight to coos deer hunt. How it went, <laughs> and like uh, all, the, all the exciting things that we had happen, it's, it's almost impossible not to, because uh, you and I are a lot alike. I mean, we both have, like... These hunts just mean so much, and they're just so exciting, and especially this one because it was new for me. But, uh, no, definitely. No, glad to be down here again. Uh, it's going to be nice living this close to you, Brian, because uh, I think we'll get a lot of podcasting in. Yeah, it's going to be really nice. A lot of podcasting, running, hopefully hunting. Those running. critters are in trouble. Yeah, hopefully. Yeah. No, this, I love this valley. It's just a phenomenal place. I mean, shoot, I was pulling into your driveway here, and I think I saw, I don't know, there's about a dozen dozen muleys right across the field from you. It's pretty awesome. Yeah, love I just it. love living in the mountains and with a view. Yep. I, I think there's there's something to it. I think it really helps your mood. It helps you let things go. You're not in traffic all the time. And everywhere you look is like a painting around here, whether it's Three-Fourths or Ennis or uh, Bozeman. So, but That's I, so funny you say that. This morning, um, on my drive, every morning I drive my daughter to school. So I go from Three-Fourths to Bozeman. And uh, this morning I told my daughter, I said, man, it's like we're driving into a painting, isn't it, Bailey? Because every morning where I'm heading um, to Bozeman, it's, that's the sunset. Or the sunrise is right there. So you got this big orange-pink sky. Um, yeah, I've noticed in myself, my wife's made comments as well, just uh, more relaxed, uh, more at peace. And it's just it's just a great place to live, man. I just love this. I love this valley. I love uh, where we're at. And um, it's just a better way of life for me, for us. So now my family's digging it. Yeah, I'm with you. Yeah, it's um, it, it gives you some good perspective too when you live in other places and you've dealt with the traffic but yeah it it seems like it's a breath of fresh air you know you you get here the traffic slows down you know really nice people nice community everybody's visiting like i just like the feel of it and um yeah it's something to to wake up every day and appreciate where you're at and your surroundings and you know it doesn't matter what i'm doing even if i'm working hard outside in the cold like i've i've got a view in my office every single day Oh, you live in an amazing place here too. Um, yeah. In fact, la- last time I was here, I, I took a photo because I could see your house and I could see the mountains in the backdrop. I mean, it's just incredible. Mm-hmm. So literally living the dream out here in Montana right now. Yeah. It's a cool spot. Well, yeah. Thanks for running down tonight. I, I'm just, um, I'm so glad that you fell in love with the Coos Deer Adventure like I did. It's <laughs> such a great opportunity for, for blue collar bow hunters to improve their skills and have a true adventure in the desert. And it's fairly easy to find populations. I mean, they're, they're one of the toughest deer to hunt in North America with a bow, but we get to hunt the best units in the best seasons. I mean, aren't those things fun? Man, I, uh, I think the first thing I said when I came in is I'm addicted. It's like, <laughs> and I've done it once. I've only done it once. Um, no, so glad I got down there and you're right. It, it really felt like after seeing how these deer act and where they're at, it really felt like this is like the pinnacle of challenges. Like, I don't think it could get any tougher chasing these guys down with a bow and in such a, you know, a a unique place in such a great state down there. But no, uh, I've been wanting to do that hunt. I've, I've heard, I've heard guys like you talk about this hunt. I've heard Randy talk about this hunt down there. And it's just like, uh, it doesn't really set in until you get down there and you see it for yourself. 
you know, I, I guess it's just one of those things. Um, I was never like crazy excited about coos deer. I've never been a whitetail guy like you. I've been a mule deer chaser forever. But then you get down there and it's like, holy smokes. I mean, it's for a bow hunter. It really is. It's like the cream of the crop because you have to be, you really have to do every single stinking thing right or you're not coming back with a buck in the back of your truck so no i i really enjoyed myself down there um i in fact people are probably getting tired of hearing me talk about coos deer <laughs> even on the podcast I, um that, that's couple, me it's an influx of coos deer information yeah. about every january february when i get yeah. back because i'm so hooked on it down there no you, you have to be and it's funny because you know Something I noticed the other day is, you know, I just had this long, we all did. We had this long drawn out fall season where we, we hunted hard, you know, from August through November. And I had all these, these mule deer hunts that were great, you know, Nevada and Colorado. And, um, and there's such awesome hunts, such great places that, you know, the places that mule deer take you and mule deer has always been my number one. I mean, ever since I can remember, I've always like, like mule deer. I know a lot of people like elk. A lot of people love whitetail, um, always mule deer, but I find myself right now, I'm thinking about these coups. Obviously it's fresh on my brain, but I feel like I, I think before I felt like mule deer, like real large, mature mule deer bucks was the pinnacle for me. Like if I could arrow a big, you know, fully mature mule deer buck, um, that's like the cream of the crop. That's like that's like it that's the dream now i'm seeing these tiny little stunted whitetail down in the desert and you know after seeing how they act and figuring it out it's like man I, this may be the the pinnacle because um it's a little bit different country but uh as a bow hunter and if you're really into the challenge of a hunt i don't see how it can get any tougher there's things i haven't hunted obviously um probably quite a few things but at this point in my life um those things are just, they're just so sketchy and turned on and whatever you want to, whatever words you want to throw. Um, there's just, you have to do every single thing right to be successful. And, you know, this year I feel like I, I feel a little guilty because I, I arrowed my buck so fast. I don't think that's going to happen. I, I'm I'm predicting years of probably frustration <laughs> at this point from this point on. So Well, you're really good at seizing opportunities, and you got the perfect opportunity on that coos deer. So we can get into it and tell the story. But, like, yeah. um, my, my buddy, that, that Miguel, that's hunted him down there his whole entire life, and I made friends with him last year, and then I hooked up with him a day hunting this year. But he says, like, like the rut is the blessing and the curse with coos deer. They rut more aggressive than any deer I've ever seen in my entire life. When they're rutting a doe, they chase her miles. Yeah. Like there was one day I saw 13 bucks and didn't get a stock because every time you see them, they're running a doe and you just can't catch up to them. I'd go look for them where they disappeared or where they went over or try to capture the right vantage points, but they rut extremely hard. And so they're always moving. Yeah. So the opportunity that you're looking for is when they get a hot doe and the hot doe gets tired, the hot doe beds down and then that buck has to protect Yes. from other satellite bucks around there and so then he actually holds still for a little bit <laughs> and you get an opportunity to move in but you're 
you're so good. You've been bow hunting for so long now that you know what you can get away with and what you can't. And so you got close and then let it all kind of progress and let it, let it kind of come to fruition and and come together. It's really cool. Your story. I'll let you tell it, but man, it's just awesome. I just think it's, you're so good at capitalizing on opportunities. Yeah. Well, you know, when you think about you're presented a situation and even prior to me going down there, um, you know, I've heard about these coups and, and how people hunt them and, I've heard what everybody talks about is you see one, and even if you see them bed down, you know, by the time you get there, you're going to have a hard time relocating them first off. Um, you know, it's everything looks the same. But most likely, he's probably going to have moved on if they're rutting hard, you know. They're, they're not going to be there anyway But by the time you get there. Um, but, yeah, the classic situation happened to me on that, and that was, uh, you know, hot dough. Um, you just can't beat that scenario. Plus wind. uh that made for the perfect amount of noise. It made for a direction that I didn't have to worry about, you know, um, blowing any of the other group out. There was a bunch of deer in this little this little uh, spot. So you found like a, a pocket of deer and yeah. there was a hot doe in there and, and this buck that you ended up killing, which was a, a really nice coos, a world class. So he was rutting that doe hard, right? So crazy story. So I uh, first day we got down there, um, you know, I was hunting down there with, uh, David Brinker and Brian Call, and there's a whole nother big group of fellas back at the, uh, Airbnb that we were staying at. Um, but we all just happened to get together and go, go this one morning, first morning, um, spotted a buck, spotted a quarter Monday and we kind of split up. I went off by myself. I was looking for this Kawadi, ended up on this just per- picture perfect glass and knob, um those guys had seen a buck they were going after it i located a buck that was a long ways away um couldn't tell exactly how big he was but i could tell it looked like a pretty good buck again i'm so uneducated on these coos deer you know they're they're just so tiny compared to when you see a a mature mule deer but i made the hike um I don't know, it was maybe a mile and a half or something like that, a roundabout way, and, and got to a spot where I could just kind of sit back and watch and see if I could relocate this sucker. And lo and behold, I ended up, it took me a while, but I found him. Um, there was a group of deer bedded down in the very bottom of this valley. And it was a really steep, you know, steep draw, some, quite, a, quite a few rocks. It wasn't those, uh, those type areas where there's a lot of yellow grass or anything like that, where it's a little more gentle. This was a pretty steep, rugged almost kind of reminded you of a mule deer spot. Well, I relocated that buck. He was bedded down under this big old dead tree. And, um, geez, I, I could see the main trail going down and out of there. And I, uh, I ended up making a play on that buck that night, got down to within 105 yards and couldn't get any closer. Hoping, hoping, hoping that, uh, that he would actually cut down Valley and give me a pretty good shot. I'd get about a 35 yard shot if you came down. Um, but that was kind of my strategy going into this because it was dead quiet. Everything was dry. Everything is noisy. It's hard to be as quiet as you can be up on a mule deer hill. Right. But they ended up long story short, they ended up going up, um, opposite of me and, and feeding away. And he chased that doe and, um, I think it was like four or five does, but so I didn't get a play, but that night, I mean, I was convinced that at that point I knew he was a really phenomenal buck, um, just from the photos I've seen and whatever. Um, 
but I told the guys that night, uh, that's the buck I want to go for. I'm going to go back and I'm going to spend however many days it takes to try to hunt that buck. Um, you know, hoping that that doe would stay in there and one of those does and he wouldn't move off too far. I don't know, me not being as educated on these little coups, I, I just figured there was a handful of does. He's probably going to stay in this little draw. Now, it could have went completely opposite. They could have He could have buggered out once that, you know, he bred that doe and got out of there. I don't know. But next day I got in there, and uh, they had moved quite a ways up drainage. But uh, same glass and spot. Ended up, uh, when I relocated him, ended up uh, watching him come down to another buck, a uh, smaller buck, buck we called Gimpy. It looked like he broke his, la- his uh, back right leg. And uh, it's interesting because I watched those things for probably two hours that morning. And they just, you know, they weren't bedding up. They were just, it was like a rut frenzy down there, just going nuts, chasing the doe around, um, other does getting out of the way, and he just wouldn't leave her alone. But a few things that I I was picking up on is um, just how cagey, because I could tell he was old and mature at that point. But man, it seemed like, so the doe would kind of stay out in that, in kind of more of an open area and feed. But when he stopped, he'd stop in the, in the oak brush and he wouldn't move. I mean, he just dead still, uh, almost like a statue. And it wasn't until that doe either got a little bit out of sight or flicked her tail or started to move a little bit, um, that he would actually make a flinch and move. So, you know, because I know he's there, um, I'm just keeping my eyeballs focused right on to where he is. But I could have easily seen just coming up to that spot at any one of those times where he was frozen and just not pick them up. They blend in so well, um, especially in that oak brush. I mean, they just, if the shade's not perfect or, you know, the lighting or whatever, they just blend in. And you'll find yourself running your glass across and not picking up a deer and then running it back across and you see like a flick of a tail or whatever an ear and you're like man i just looked across that how did i not see that before but man they are just really really difficult to pick up so long story short i ended up uh watching that buck for hours that morning he ended up uh chasing that other buck away um i watched him breed that doe which is which is pretty cool and then they kind of went up and over this little hump and um, and bedded up in this little sliver of oak brush. So what I did, um, and the wind was, the wind was just perfect. It started that morning, um, you know, a, a good directional, uh, kind of a southwest um, wind. That, and I thought, man, I mean, the way that they were feeding, the way that they were moving. Um, just kind of looking at the terrain from where I was, I, I picked up a spot that it looked like I could probably get to where I'd get in close. Um, my strategy being the whole time, get close enough to where you don't blow it um, and let them make the mistake. Let them come to you. I just could not figure out a way that I was going to get in tight enough in that little spot and be quiet enough with those many that many does and eyeballs and, and just how twitchy they were. So, um kind of uh, sitting back, looking at the spot. I backed off that knob. I ended up getting in my truck, um, which is probably a quarter mile back, drove around and took a really, really long roundabout way to get down there, hoping that buck was still going to be in that valley. And um, 
so by the time I ended up getting back, it was, it was later in the day, uh, relocated what I thought was the same buck, but it happened to be another good size buck. So there was, you know, three or four other bucks running around those. You, you kind of watch how those, those, those deer act. And it's funny, they'll stay still and then they'll just, they'll sprint like 50 yards and they'll do like a little rodeo, like giddy up, you know, and it's, it's just fun to watch. And that buck will sometimes just stand there and watch them until they stop. And then he'll, you know, bird dog them. And, uh, so I got, I got a bird's eye view just watching this whole thing pan out. Little bucks getting chased off, uh, the big buck just going crazy and, and then just staying statue at times. And so, um, by the time I got to this, there was this one big tree up on the hill and I got behind that. I could have a really good view of everything at that point. There was a little, a little valley. It's kind of a rock valley that, that kind of cut down into the main drainage of where they were. That, well, they were on the opposite drainage at that point. But assuming that those deer were going to keep kind of continuing to feed that direction, um, they were going to go up this little cut. Well, the valley just to my left intersected that cut. It probably, I don't know, it was about 100 yards for me to get down to that cut. And so my best play at that point with the directional coming in my face was get down there, um, you know, as slow as possible, you know, you got your bow on your legs. You're just inching your way as slow as possible. Getting into that cut. And once I got into that cut, I could actually move and uh, and get a little closer to where it intersected. And so I got down there and I could, you know, you hate to peer over rocks and kind of, you know, reassess the situation. But you have to, right? You have to look. And so uh, once I got down in there, you know, you, I did just that. I'd, I'd get to the spot and I got to where I was... Uh, 26 yards from the opposite side of that other wall basically so the drainage that they were going to assume assumedly they'd, they'd come up and so i knew it'd be a top pin type shot if they were walking the, the main little trail that came up that um so you know it, you, down when you're that tight it, it could happen so dang fast i had a doe just blast by me at one point um i didn't know if it was the doe it wasn't the doe I uh, had another couple little bucks racing around and, and if you watch those things, like I said, they just, at times they just race away or they, they'll run 200 yards in a big circle and end up right where they were. A lot of times they never offer a shot. No, they just move it. They so just much. keep moving. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. So I, uh, you know, I had all the luck in the world with me that day, obviously, because it's probably three thirty in the afternoon and, um, and I've been watching these deer all day long. And at this point, I still assume that the big buck that I'm looking at, I'm not looking at him too close during that whole stock. I'm just assuming that's the buck I watched all morning long. Mm -hmm. Big buck, same spot, same other cluster of deer. And, uh, and then when I got in, I was about 80 yards from kind of where most of the action was going on and, and his doe was. And then, you know, you throw the glass up and it's like, dang, but this rack looks a little bit different. Like it's a little more curled in at the front. It's got a fourth tine on it. It's like that bucket wasn't a four on that side. And so um, I'm trying to do the math. Like what happened here? Like how did I miss? Well, some I guess when I relocated, um, this buck had moved in. Another mature buck had moved in. And whether that other buck that I'd watched all morning got booted out or he just picked up a hot dough and he just took off. And then 
this buck picked up another hot doe. I have no idea. But um, it was like the perfect situation. I mean, you just, that's what you dream about, something like that. Because no sooner, I mean, I got down to that spot, and it wasn't but a couple minutes, and that buck, or that doe, sprinted up that draw, that the draw that I was in, I was in the little intersection draw to that main draw, and that doe sprinted past me. And, you know, I'd done every calculation in my head at this point. I think, you know, you just think of every little thing that you don't want to screw up. You think about your shot. You think about um, your yardage. You think about everything, not making a, not making a mistake at that point. Um, so the one thing that I had heard many people talk about is how they can matrix your, your arrow, right? They're just that fast, like a lot of whitetail if, um, if they're on to you. Or like axis deer, like yeah. you've chased the axis deer. Um, you know, I've heard people say, shoot a little low, um, just because, you know, that first initial jump at the, at the sound of the bow going off, they'll duck down a little bit and, and that's kind of where you want to put a little low. Well, I was pretty dang close, um, at that point, like I said, it was a top pin shot. Um, so I knew in my head, I was just thinking, all right, I got to stop him, but I also got to have that arrow releasing at the exact moment that. I stopped that this buck so um you know that's just what was going through my head uh, everything from holding the bow to making the shot you know count so you know that that doe sprinted past me and uh and then what i've got is a rock wall on my right in this little cut it's probably like a seven foot cut so i'm squatted down and uh and sure enough i know that buck's coming because this is the doe and uh and so i've got one little tree in front of me there's like a two foot gap between where i first see him this little tree i draw back actually before he, he hit that tree and he's going pretty fast and uh stopped him you know with just a little mouth um, noise and basically let that thing fly at the same time and it could not have worked out any more perfect i mean 18 yard shot he spun, he took off down, and I just, basically I sat down at that point. I didn't even want to look and see, you know, down the draw. And, um, yeah, at that point I started talking into my phone, telling the story. <laughs> but that's how it worked out, and uh, I gave it some time. I didn't need to. Um, I could see my arrow, my arrow clean pass through, and it had stuck in on the other side in some yellow grass. So I finally gave it some time and kind of recorded everything and how it worked out, and then so I went over there and, found the bloody arrow and um man i mean I, you could look down 30 yards down this little cut in the flat of this draw and see that buck piled up down there so that was just a huge huge sigh of you know, like holy I, well first i just it's like right after i released that arrow i mean you just can't believe that just happened on a coos deer i mean i put these things up with like one of the hardest critters um from what i've heard and um yeah, it just happened. Second day, mm -hmm. second day. Well, and you 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 can't um, you know you can't make it happen on the last day always, right? Like sometimes <laughs> it happens quicker than that. But no, it's just yeah. an opportunity where you caught that buck and you caught hot dough in that drainage, and yep. then capitalized, made the right moves. Yeah. You never uh, they were never aware of your presence as you kept stealthy as you were moving in and as you were observing them and yeah. making a good game plan, got the wind right and uh, 
You know, you just made the right moves and well, it came together and capitalized on the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. And prior to that, you know, I had a couple experiences getting in, in close to deer, not on stocks, but uh, some does. Mm-hmm. And uh, they pick up everything. Everything. Every single movement, they're on you. And they will stay on you. Um, I don't know if they'll stay on you longer than a mule deer, but they'll stand frozen waiting for you to make a move forever. In any flinch, and they're oh, gone. Yeah. They react yeah, really yeah. quick. And I'm assuming that has to do with um, you know, just the country they're in, the amount of predators they have down there. I mean, cats are after them all the time. I've watched a mountain lion. Well, I didn't watch it actually kill a deer last year, but it had the deer dead, and then I watched it drag it all the way across a hillside, a mountain lion, Dang. sitting from my vantage point. So, yeah. yeah, those those mountain lions, they wreak havoc on them. And actually, there's been a few documented cases of jaguars yeah. that come up that have been in the U.S. that have been photographed in some of those southern mountain ranges. So yeah. if you can imagine a 250-pound spotted cat hunting those <laughs> things. like so, so they're really switched on to the predators. Yeah. You know, that's for sure. Yeah, it, it seems like every noise, everything you do, they're on to you. They're on you, yeah. And so it's, uh, yeah, they're just... Uh, no, fun, fun animal to hunt. Well, and they blend in so well. Like, you, yeah. you, you tell people that they blend in, but they, they're they one of the toughest animals. They are the toughest animal that I've ever had to glass for. When they hold still, they can be in the wide open 200 yeah. yards away from you, and you don't see them. Or like you say, yep. in that oak brush or the ocotillos or a little bit of shadows. Yep. But, but their whole coat is this camouflage, and so they're called the gray ghost, and for a reason. They yep. live up to the reputation. They, you take it, your eyes off them for a second, and sometimes you can't find them or can't even tell yeah. your buddy where they're at. They're just amazing. Oh, man, you, you learn that very, very quickly, um, whether it's you know trying to show another guy like, yep. oh, I see a buck. And then you, know, you, you tell him, and then you get off the glass, and you're like, dang it, where is he? You know, you'd never, you, you, you figure out pretty dang fast that you just don't come off of that glass. Nope. No, Not- I, I kicked myself the <laughs> one time I saw a good buck and I saw him headed in there and yep. whoever was with me, I mean, it was Logan or I had Coulter drove down another buddy of mine that hunted with me for a day or so. But I, I just told him where it was and tried to get the scope on him. I knew the exact spot and I lost him. He was yeah. gone. I was yeah. so mad at myself for taking my eyes off uh, him. And yeah. I finally picked him up again. You just don't get frustrated and keep staring around at those spots. But it's amazing how quick they can de- disappear on you. A lot of times you think you have them pinned down in a timber patch and you never saw the doe, you never saw the buck leave. You know they're right in this patch of cover. And you go there and they disappear on you. They sneak out. Or you'll yeah. even have a buddy that sits on the vantage point, keeps his eyes on that exact spot as you stalk in. And like last year, I sat above a spot for two hours waiting for a buck to move that was never there. He <laughs> snuck out on us. You know, they're, they're, oh, yeah, um, they're just that. so sneaky the way they, they move around. And they cover so much country, too. Yeah. Like, um. Yeah, I've, I mean, I lost I lost deer in yellow grass. Yep. I lost deer in those patches, you know, the Okatias and all that, um, dirt patches, because they're <laughs> it's almost like uh, it's like they're a chameleon because of the, the coloration of them. Mm-hmm. It's hard to explain, but um, you know, there was like some bare dirt type patches, and mm-hmm. I would like I said before, I'd run my glass over, and it's like I just don't I don't see them unless I am like really, really, really slow. Uh, focusing on every single little thing, but it's usually when they move. But yeah, really, really difficult to glass. Um, you I don't was, see all the deer your first pass through. It no, takes hours no. on those vantage points to figure out what deer are around. 
Um, and, and they just hide and disappear so well. You think yeah. you're sitting on a master vantage point, and they'll go in the 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 one crook or the 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 one sliver that you can't see, or over a ridge, and then they're gone. Even though you can see ten square miles of desert habitat, sure. and they just disappear on you. Yeah, well, those little desert folds. I mean, they're deceiving. Mm-hmm. How? Well, and they don't have to be very deep because let's face it, these things are tiny. They're short. And uh, you know, I was told like a year like this where it's really wet. Um, the grass was a little bit taller, maybe, mm-hmm. um, that may have had a little bit more to do with, <laughs> we were losing them in yellow grass, but, uh, they just, unlike a mule deer, mule deer just stick out, mm-hmm. you know, they're just way taller, the coloration, you know, the rump, everything, they just stick out and they got bigger antlers and bigger ears and all that. <laughs> but, uh, but no, these don't, these don't. So does were extremely hard to pick out. Mm-hmm. unless they were moving yep. so it was it was a lot of fun i i don't know what you run for glass down there but uh man i brought some big boy glass with me this time i ran some of those uh 18s and i've never hunted country really where i thought about 18s um but this wasn't like a backcountry style hunt so you know brought the big ones out and i mean that was like the best thing ever mm-hmm. having those 18s on a tripod so really really happy that i brought those mm-hmm. but that's kind of what it took um, I think a lot of guys will run 15s or mm-hmm. whatever, um, but you kind of need something like that magnification-wise just, just to pick out those little subtle things mm-hmm. um, amongst the oak brush. So Yeah, I, you know, I have um, – yeah, so I run my 10s super high-quality glass on tripods and then my scope. Yeah. And um, I, I glass with buddies with the big glass, and they do really well with it. And then Coulter's got a pair of 15s, and I've used those before. I would like a pair of 15s, but I like the 10s. I could yeah. pick out a bunch of those things. And the deal is is I could pan through country quicker. And yeah. so I ended up catching more deer because I had a wider field of view. Sure. So I, I would catch you know more of the deer moving around because I'd get through my pans quicker through there. And it's like every glass power is made for a certain distance. And so up close, it's almost like those high power are too much to really dissect what's right Absolutely. in front of you. But but out a little bit further or like out at the base of the mountain, that's where those 15s or 18s or money or where those guys would pick out a few more than me. For yeah. Sure. And what I did was, you know, I'm like you. Typically, um, I run 10s or 12s around my neck um, and which is what I did over there. Uh, so, you know, initially I'm always pulling the 10s or 12s up and then glass and then using those. But what I did on this one, which was different, was I ditched the scope and just packed those little, packed the big 18s around. That's smart. Yeah, I and, like that. Uh, and got rid of the scope on that. Um, just seemed like it was a little more comfortable because, um, mm-hmm. you know, you're glassing very slowly and all day long. So mm-hmm. looking through uh, look, looking through the binos versus the scope just seemed to fit a little better. But um, most times, most all my hunts, I pack 10s or 12s mm-hmm. and then run a scope, you know, more high magnification scope. So like it's, say it's tough to figure out the right system because every different mountain range is different. Every mm-hmm. different vantage point, every, all the terrain, like it's all different. Yeah. And I think each place that you hunt specifically calls for the right piece of glass to, to glass it, you know, the, to be as, as efficient as you can be. But you can definitely make do with tens down there i pick yeah. out a lot of deer with tens down yeah. there. on on tripod i really like to tripod up and then mm. it's like this exaggerated spot and stock so i love the process of hunting these deer and so you know i've said it before but i think each 
each different species and each new habitat improves your skill set in a different way. And, and coos deer make me such a better hunter. It's going to make me so much better for next year mule deer season or, yeah. or next year elk season. It just improves your spot and stock game. It improves your glassing game so much. It makes you dial in and tighten up and get all those things right to maybe have a chance to stick an arrow through a coos. And through that process, I just think it improves my hunting skill so much. And, and I think it's, you know, it, it's probably had a lot to do with my success the last few years, really, is it just dials in because you, you really have to find the best vantage points. You can't, I don't think you hunt your way through country with those as good. You just seem to kind of blow them out here and there right. and you can't, you know, they're, they're not everywhere either. They're not thick. Like they're spread out throughout that habitat, but you may look over 10 square miles and may see 10 coos deer. Yeah. You know, there may be a, a, a deer per square mile in some country there, there's no deer. And so you really got to get to those vantage points and just dissect it and really look at your maps and try to figure it out and what gives you the best vantage point and hiking to that before daylight and then sitting up there for a couple hours. And so like, I really enjoy that process of hunting them and trying to figure out the vantage points and where they're at. And some days see does and a couple bucks. And like you say, some days you have the right vantage point and you see 13 bucks going everywhere and you run <laughs> yourself. I mean, I ran myself ragged trying to keep up with these. My experience was vastly different than yours. Yeah, yeah, like yeah. I, I would see these bucks cruising and then I'd have to go and I'd go on adventure for four or five miles and go try to look where they disappeared and grab a vantage point over there. And I'd relocate them just to see them go up over the next rise. And I'd chase them all day long like that, never really being able to get close or even a close call until day five was the first time I got inside of 150 yards on one, even right. though I was seeing bucks every day. Yeah. And that's, and that's like the reoccurring story that I hear from everyone yep. is you see these bucks and you see them running a ridge or you, you know, as soon as you think you might be able to put a stock on, they're gone. Yep. And they go over a ridge and then almost impossible to relocate. Yep. But, uh, yeah, so I'm curious on your hunt because I don't know if you told the story, but uh, I want to know how yours panned out and how you ended up making it work. Because mine, like I said, I still feel like I was lucky in that I pinned them down on day mm -hmm. two. I feel like I could go 10 years now and maybe not have that happen. But uh, my strategies in that situation was completely different. Mm -hmm. Um, on a really, you know, ranging traveling buck. Mm -hmm. Mine was getting tight, let them make the mistake, um, you know, which is something that you would do on a mule deer if, if you just can't get in tight enough, right? Um, that's kind of the name of the game, let them stand up, let them come to you. Uh, it's the only thing in my mind that made sense to me on, the, on something like that. But I'm curious as to your buck, how did you? How did that all pan out yeah. for you? Well, you're such a, a, a methodical, well thought out bow hunter that has so much experience that you know what you can get away with and what you can't. And so it doesn't surprise me that you capitalized on a great opportunity. But yeah, mine was was different. So I went down there with a bunch of confidence this year, and I've killed one really good hundred inch buck, and I passed a lot of smaller bucks. But I really feel like I've paid my dues and I've learned a bunch of different areas and drainages and vantage points and mountain ranges. And I, I feel like I've got a lot of experience with those coups. And so I know when to go all in or when to back up. And, and even hunting my buddy Miguel that's hunted coups deer his whole life, he'll tell you that I'm way too aggressive on these things. But I, I've got a week to be able to try to get it done. And so for me, I just I, like I can't sit back on a vantage point all day. Like I've got to stretch my legs throughout the day too. And so... You know, I would get on these good master vantage points and I'd try to locate bucks. And I saw 
a lot of bucks cruising. Like I would average a, a few bucks every day, but a lot of them, they just wouldn't give me opportunities. They'd end up disappearing. And so I'd be watching for a couple hours. I'd find a buck. I wouldn't take my eyes off him. And all of a sudden he'd go over the top of the mountain. And right. so now he's disappeared in a bowl or a basin. And so now it's middle of the day. I can either sit on the vantage point, but I've seen dang near every coos around there. Now I've got a chain. So I either go to a different vantage point or I go try to relocate that good buck I saw go over the top. Right. And so then I'd spend the day going after that good buck and I'd get back there and like I say sometimes I'd find him sometimes I wouldn't but I just couldn't get an opportunity every time I'd see a buck he'd be chasing a doe he was off and over he was moving country like I just couldn't catch up to him and I was hunting you know I think you've got like the more open the terrain the better chance of killing those things because you can keep track of them they don't disappear in, in all the brush and so you know I was hunting fairly open terrain so I, I was just having that happen where I just couldn't quite catch up to him and um and then finally you and without know, a doe to slow him down I yeah mean, uh, how do you because they're they're rutting they're never gonna stop right yeah and even a doe sometimes they just chase her where you can't yep. see but i was starting to get closer and closer and really get in the groove of hunting him getting in the groove of finding him in my glass getting in the groove of finding them before they saw me if i was approaching you know and i was starting to get closer on does and bucks i saw two bucks come to this one spot and I tried to cut one off and he ended up going back the way he came, but they kind of disappeared back in this drainage. And so I went back in there and, and I sat in there for three hours glassing that drainage. And then finally I turn up this buck again and he's rutting this doe and it's like right on. Okay. He's right in this timber patch. And what you're looking for is just like your scenario, like them to pin down that doe and then they stay still trying to guard that doe. And so, um, I started making a play on that buck and then just sure enough, the doe's back on her feet and up over the top of that ridge. And it's like, oh, so I just couldn't catch up, but I was putting on good miles and I was getting closer and closer. I had a good close call the last day. Logan was with me on a really nice hundred inch three point, had an extra little uh, like drop tying on just a really Hmm. nice old mature coos. And he had pinned down a doe and Gardner versus two point. And I tried to work around him. And right as I was getting around, perfect wind that day, perfect spot coming over the ridge, he got up and chased that doe. And he actually ran by Logan at about 20 yards where he was trying to video <laughs> from the knob. It was just like typical, but we never spooked him. He went in the next drainage. So then we spent the day looking for him. An hour later, we turn him up again. And up over the top, he goes again, chasing that doe. And so it was just running me ragged trying to catch up to him. And any opportunity that I saw or any chance where I'd see a really good 100-inch shooter buck or I, I was looking for like a good mainframe two mature buck and anytime I'd see one you know disappear or go in a spot I try to get a better vantage so I just kept playing the game and um, I located a buck this one night and it was my closest opportunity before I arrowed one and it was a really cool stock so you know the you have to be at the top of your game to move in on these things but I located um, he was a, a four by five really tall tined you know, really heavy, and and Miguel saw him and thought he was a 110-inch coos. He was a really nice buck. And so I located this buck, and it was a scenario I was looking for. He had a doe pinned down, and there was two other two points that were trying to get in there and rut that doe, and he was guarding against him. And so, you know, now after just being seconds behind the buck, you know, the night before, the day before Logan, now I'm moving, you know. And so I move quick, and I get over to him, and my approach the way the wind is and everything, I have to approach on the side of the canyon that they're looking across at. And so I'm in the open, but mm. there's enough brush around and enough stuff. And 
I love stalking when you can keep your eyes on the animals you're chasing, kind of like you did on yours yeah. as you're moving in slow and you're creeping down the hill with your bow on your lap. It's because you can see when they're paying attention, when yeah. they're looking at you. Read their mannerisms. You just know exactly how fast you can go yep. and when they're actually at attention. Yep, when they're down, when their head's down feeding or yep. when they're up looking for danger. And so that's what I was able to do is even though they're the wiliest animal and one of the toughest to get in close to, I just kept my eyes on them and kept getting brush in between me and them. And pretty soon I found myself into bow range. And now, like, I can either sneak through the brush, but it's real noisy, or I can just kind of walk along the brush in open sight of these deer, but wait for their heads to be down and move ultra slow and just let my camo work for me. And so I just kept creeping in. And pretty soon I found myself in range of the two does, but the buck's about another 20, 30 yards, just chasing these other bucks and looking down at the doe. And so... I'm in bow range for a half an hour, and finally he comes down to rut one of these does, and he comes down to rudder. I get a good range on him, and he's broadside, but I'm trying to track the two two points, this buck, the doe that's in heat, and then there's two other, three other does there, and I'm trying to track all their heads, and I lose focus for just a minute. So he chases this doe. He's broadside. I got a good range, and I go to draw on him. He's not looking at me, and the doe that he was chasing, I couldn't see in the brush, and she must have been staring right in my direction, and she bolted and took him with him. Mm. You know, I was just like, I'd waited and worked Dang. so hard for that opportunity, but I just lost that focus like right in that end, right in that draw, and none of those deer knew I was there. I could have just sat there and waited, you know. But I, I lost track of that one doe looking at the buck, went to draw, and got busted. Dang. And then, um, so, but I knew it was going to come together. I just had to keep hunting, and I was kind of open ended on time. And I had my mindset: I was going to arrow a coos deer this year. Like I say, I paid my dues. I've hunted these things. So like how I'm many years? In. How many years have you chased these? So I think this is my this is my fifth year chasing them. Yeah. Yep. So I've got two deer in five years of chasing them. So you got the bug early. Yep. And um, <laughs> yep. And my buddies have killed a couple of them. And uh, gosh, I've had some close calls, but I just feel like I finally got it figured out where I've got them dialed in, and they're extremely yep. tough. And I'm hooked on it. And the cool thing is. I think that hunting is some of the coolest hunting going and the world just hasn't caught on. I think it's some of the funnest hunting out there in that desert terrain and tracking those things down and the ultimate challenge. I mean, they're action all day long. Like, and and that's why I think you and I are so excited about it and talking about it so much. It's like, uh, it doesn't seem like it's getting the respect that it deserves and, and the animal itself doesn't just because, um, I don't know. I don't know why, but they're so dang hard and, you know, being able to chase them in the rut like this with a bow and still struggle. I mean, a rutting deer, you know, is always a little bit easier, I would say, but not necessarily on these guys because they're just so small and they're so, you know, they're just moving around so much and they're so wary. So And they're so evolved to that desert habitat too. They yeah. just don't seem like a whitetail. They live in the mountains. They live in extreme desert terrain. They they blend in perfectly, but they've evolved through thousands of you know, tens of thousands of years to be perfectly adapted to that desert environment and small and so they're they're just dialed down there, you know, and, yeah. and wiry and like you say, they're they're everywhere through that terrain from the valley floor to the mountaintops, but they're so tough to kill, you know, and so yeah. I love the challenge and once you start start hunting them and you gain respect for them you get hooked on it so i really think it's some of the coolest hunting going that the guys just haven't found out or done or tried but but it's so fun and so then it probably is a little intimidating for some just hearing the hearing the challenge of it and um 
really, really low percentage of kill, I yep. think, every year. I don't know what the numbers are exactly, but it's it sounds like it's pretty low. Yep, and you January. have to go for the experience. Yeah, yep. exactly. And um, But, yeah, and then I finally, that next morning, I knew it'd come together. I hooked up with my buddy Miguel, which just added to the whole experience. So he's born and raised in Nor- Nogales. He works on, as Border Patrol. And he looked me up last year, and, and we've been um, in, in touch ever since. He's just a great guy and a great hunter. He's killed uh, eight bucks in a row over 100 inches with his bow. Holy smokes. Yeah, he is the coos master. The and master. so I just pick that guy's brain on coos deer uh, hunting every chance I get. A lot of the information I have comes from him. But yeah. He um he took the next day off so we could hunt together a day. And so he took a day off to hunt with me. And he's just all for trying to help me out to try to kill one of these. I also had another buddy, Coulter, come down, help me glass. Logan came down and helped me glass. So I had some buddies, you know, coming in and out. And I, I just had a blast down there sharing the experience with them and hiking around the desert. But, yeah, I hooked up with Miguel. This guy was so inviting. Like, he had me stay at his house there and, and uh, you know, eat with his family and, you know, he'd, uh, get together with his friends out there, you know. And, and um, yeah, he's, he's just a, a great guy, and he really knows his country. So he took me to a spot in the morning, glassed it up, a bunch of does around. We saw a couple bucks. He talked me out of chasing them. Of course, I wanted to go over the hill and go see where they went. And, you know, it's he's always got to hold me back, you know. But I, <laughs> I'm always just trying to create an opportunity or trying to relocate them and trying to make something happen. And I always have visions. I see a 100-inch bu- buck go over the ridge. I always have visions that he's got this doe pinned down over there, and he's just in the perfect place, and I didn't put the effort to go find sure. him. And it just kills me. you know. Well, but, that, it's just because you know the value of every little opportunity. Yep. I mean, you've hunted long enough to know that uh, all it takes is one little opportunity, and so you don't want to let one slide. I can mm-hmm. see that. Yep. yep. And then, um, yeah, we just caught this buck off the vantage point. He was a mainframe, too. I looked at him and thought, yeah, I'd shoot that buck every day. I, I try to pass up on Forkies. I'm looking for mature bucks. And I'll have to show you the skull upstairs. He's actually an older buck. I think he's four or five or so. But hmm. just a nice mainframe chocolate horn coos deer, you know, that looked good to me. And he was cruising right by the vantage point. I, do, I was able to just make a quick move down on him, put myself in range. It all happened pretty quick. But, hmm. um, you know, there's such a small target you know i i keep going through these these visualizations and i just you know those opportunities are so fleeting to be able to you know to get a an arrow into a good coos or good mule deer or whatever it is and so i practiced a lot coming into this hunt and i figured it may be a long shot and it you know may be my only chance small target but i sat on my shot and just absolutely pinwheeled that thing the shot wasn't even it was um like uh, 49 yards is where the shot was. Oh, yeah. Yeah, and just nice. put an absolute perfect arrow into him. Miguel got to watch the whole thing go down. and So, so cool. Yeah, he he went in the valley in there and, and uh, actually saw another buck kick out of the valley there. But, yeah, it crushed him. I was just so happy, you know, to get it done, <laughs> to work that hard at something and oh, just looking man. for an opportunity to get it done and then to have Miguel there to share in it. So we took care of the buck, went home, Miguel's garage door had busted the night before, so I helped him fix that. We worked on that a little bit, and then he said, well, let's go back out. I still got a tag, and I was going to hang out and have dinner with him that night and then drive home the next morning. Sure, sure. And so we went out that night. Miguel has hunted dang near every day in January. He's got one stock. Like, he just waits for the right opportunity, the right buck. And like I say, he looks for the big ones, and he knew where this buck would had been hanging out. And so we went into this area and hit the vantage point, and I picked out the buck down below us, and he was rutting a doe down there. Just a giant coos. I think it scored 106, but just heavy, dark chocolate Cat. horns rutting that doe down there. And uh, 
Miguel knew it was all in. He didn't hesitate one minute. He says, okay, I'm going, you know, and off he went and got a tree in between him and that deer and moved down, capitalized on the opportunity, made his shot, and I watched that deer tip over down there after he shot it. So we killed two coos in one day, two mature bucks. That's interesting. So he's looking for the same kind of like that perfect scenario. He's not he's not doing a whole lot of stocks. No. He's looking for the ideal situation. That's what he's looking for. Yeah. He sees a lot of big bucks, and it's interesting to hunt with them. So like you've, you've relocated that buck, a lot of these bucks I see, I'll see them one day, and then I won't see them for a couple days. Like really? even looking over 10 square miles. But – Miguel, like he believes in their home range. And so once he sees a good buck and he knows he's in that area, he just keeps going back. And then eventually three, four, five days later, he'll pick up this deer and he thinks they kind of have like a, like a circuit, like elk that they kind of work and they travel through and they move through and then they're back in that country where he saw them. And that's kind of like typical for most whitetail, right? Kind of a smaller range, Mm -hmm. although they'll do some traveling for the rut. But um, that's interesting because I found, like that buck I told you about the first day I found him, I found him the second day. Um, I found him the third day in that same valley. And then it was like day six. We picked him up okay. again. Yes, okay. Um, rutting a doe. He would move. And, you know, if he didn't spend a lot of time glassing that drainage, you'd think maybe he'd left. Mm-hmm. But he was there. Um, you know, I mean, I can't say, I guess it was like, half mile from the first place I saw him another time he's a half mile over here but still somewhat in the same general area and it was just that one nice big buck Mm -hmm. and it was in a drainage that um it had cover it had everything that makes sense to grow an old buck that just never you know gets killed I mean it's just they can grow old and die in there it just felt like that kind of a spot so that's interesting that he uh he goes on that as well mm-hmm. assuming they have kind of a somewhat of a range and they don't just bomb 10 miles like yeah, a rutting mule deer exactly well that 110 incher that I about shot I spotted him two days earlier with Miguel and we saw him and he he went rutting over the top and we lost him. I glassed the whole next day in that area and you can see so much country and my buddy, I think my buddy Coulter came down, helped me glass this whole area and we saw some bucks and things, never saw that buck. And then the next day, didn't see him in the morning and then in the evening, picked him out, like you say, a half mile down the drainage yeah. on that face, living in that same home range. It was that same really tall 110-inch goose. But, no yeah, they have a home range and a circuit of country. And so you may not see him the next day, but, you know, the day after that, in that spot where I saw 13 bucks, I kept going back to that spot and picking out some of those bucks that I had seen. Now, I right. never saw 13 in the day. That day was fairly crazy. But I'd see, like, the one with the dropper. I'd seen him before. And so mm-hmm. you kind of see the same bucks in there. But Yeah, and I had kind of come up with this theory um, because, you know, we were picking up some of the more mature, larger bucks in there that, uh, you know, the bigger bucks, those mature bucks, they just don't need to travel. Like, we saw some smaller bucks just cruising country. But I'm just thinking, you know, if there's four or five does or six, ten does in this one drainage, why does that big buck need to, you know, cruise and just hit a ridge and take off? So it almost seems like um, maybe some of the less mature bucks, maybe a couple three-year-olds, are are doing more of the traveling versus the older bucks are going to have more of a tighter home range Mm -hmm. where they don't, they just don't need to. You know, they've got those does to themselves, and they're not really worried about, unless there's another big buck in the area, of course. But. Well, and, you know, every terrain 
every piece of habitat is different, you know. But yeah, I think, you know, that's a lot of my theory when I'm hunting mule deer is I find a drainage that holds 20, 30 does and I look over that drainage really hard and bucks just show up in there. Yeah. And same thing with those coos. When you find a drainage that's holding 10, 15 does, that, that buck can just live in that drainage or in that area. Now, I see him travel quite a bit. Do you? Um, but... You know, it's just big desert habitat, and it's all different. Every mountain range is different. Every piece of country is different. Populations are different. But I see him travel quite a bit, but still holding that home range. Like I said, I found that buck a half a mile away or whatever. Well, it's exciting to me because I got so much to learn. Like I said, I spent, I think I was down there for seven days, and I learned a whole, I mean, just a whole host of things, you know, with with watching their mannerisms and just how they behave. But um, it's going to be years in the making of trying to figure out how these, how these deer, uh, you know, how to like, how to be consistently successful on these mm-hmm. deer. Um, I think that's going to be the ultimate goal is to, uh, how do you become so successful and, and consistent versus, uh, getting handed something like I got handed yeah, to me this year. Consistently successful on mature bucks is, is a true feat. And, me and you both love to embrace the challenge, and it's such a great challenge for January. But I, I, I've just absolutely fallen in love with it. They are yeah. so fun to hunt, and it makes me so happy that another backcountry hunter has found <laughs> coos deer, and you didn't come back and say, "Oh yeah, I killed a big one. I'm 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 back to mule deer." Because we'll no. always love to hunt mule deer. But yeah. I, I'm just uh, it makes me so happy that you're as hooked on it as I am because I really think it's the the coolest, most undiscovered hunt. And I think I did the whole hunt for seven, eight hundred bucks, something like like that with gas and with my tag and yep. with food and you know. I think that was my main cost was the drive down yep it was just that um you know it's very affordable type hunt it's not something you're going to spend thousands of dollars on or anything like that but uh no I, I think um you know I never never really assumed I'd hunt whitetail too often because I'm such a mule deer nut mm-hmm. but um whitetail that live in the mountains like that it's a different story. They're different species, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, they're up top. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. No, but I'm curious, like, say, what if you would have seen, because, you know, with this tag, you can chase muleys, you can chase coos. Um, what if you would have looked down in one of those flats and seen, like, a 170-inch buck running around? What do you think you would have done? You think you would have stayed on the coos? You know, 170-inch yeah. buck is a pretty good buck, and I am an opportunist. But, yeah, I get really hooked and tied into those coos where I'm not even looking for mule deer. I'm not even looking or hunting for them. I'm looking at coos mountain ranges. Like I just get so much great opportunity to hunt giant mule deer that, um, you know, I kind of go down there for the, the, the different species and the different habitat and soaking in the sun. So I don't, this year I wanted to hunt muleys a little bit on my way down, but I couldn't help myself. The coos are so action packed down there and so fun, thrilling to hunt a new species. And so I'm just hooked on it where I go down there and focus on that. I have so much great opportunity to hunt muleys. And so for, for me, I'm just hooked on those coos deer. When I start heading down, that is the only thing on my mind is trying to arrow a good coos. Now, if I did see 170 inch down in the valley, <laughs> yeah, you're probably going to see me making a play for it or Bet a stock it under on it. a little piece of rim rock. Yeah, right. I, you, I probably can't help myself. You'd have to take <laughs> away my bow. But uh, I really go down there focused on coos, trying to kill a coos, not even thinking about mule deer or looking yeah. for them. I had that conversation with myself on the way down, knowing that uh, – that tag would go either way. Um, hearing about some pretty good mule deer in that that general area down there as well, uh, I kind of told myself just 
focus on the unique focus on the coups mm-hmm. something you want to learn um you know you and i both chased mule deer in various places and that that is awesome it's it's probably always going to be my favorite hunt is uh is chasing mule deer in the high country yep. but um with opportunity at a at a unique animal like that coos it's just i i wanted to make sure i wasn't lured away down to those lower lands with uh with those giant bucks mm-hmm. muley bucks but good for you well and i think that's an experience that we all need to embark on too we just need more time down there those <laughs> desert muleys would be really fun too absolutely um but yeah it's a unique opportunity and in january when they're rutting you know it's it's like you got this chance to hunt the the very best units in the world for coos deer i mean there's world-class coos down there and you get an opportunity to hunt them during the very best season rifle guys would wait years five ten years for a tag like we get to go experience with our bow every single year that's why i think it's the coolest thing going that's so undiscovered down there you know that so so i really like going down there and chasing those things around it just makes me so happy that you had the same experience and fell in love with it like i did but um yeah they're gonna be fun for years to come to go down there and chase around i'm curious on your setup did you change anything on your setup hunting um like going from whitetail or i'm sorry mule deer to coos as far as arrow weight, anything like that, broadhead, anything? I didn't mess with it too much. I found the most aerodynamic arrow, or the the most, um, uh, yeah, the, wind, the least amount of wind drift on it. Uh, just So I shot a two-blade expandable broadhead that just doesn't capture any wind drift. It's gotcha. like my long-range broadhead. It opens up to inch and five-eighths cutting diameter. I just know how tough they are to get close to down there. Now, I'm always looking to get close and kill them, and I'm not looking to, to fire long Hail Marys or anything like that. But, I mean, I I really practiced at my longer ranges thinking my only chance might come at 60 or 70 yards at one of these mature bucks. And sometimes the whole hunt comes down to that, and you get one chance at them standing there. And if you've shot that shot a thousand times, you know, you're, you're, you're willing to make. So I kind of shoot like a um, that two-blade – uh, expandable broadhead that seems to catch less wind drift, but I really didn't change up my arrow setup. I shoot about 450 grains. Gotcha. I like that it's quiet. You know, I don't want a lot of noise. And um, I just spent a lot of time making sure my bow was all dialed and my shooting was all dialed and went down there with just a, a ton of confidence, knowing if I got a sliver of an opportunity, I was going to put a good arrow in them. Right. Yeah, I was I was a little worried about, you know, I, I run a little heavier arrow. I think mine's a little over 500 grains, and um, I wasn't sure. You know, I've heard just how how fast these things can jump the string and, and yada, yada. So I was a little worried about that, but I stuck with the same setup that I ran for deer, for elk, and, yep. and I used it with this, and it just worked fine. Yep. Obviously, mine was a lot closer shot, but, um, yeah, I've always been curious – if guys run a lighter, more of a speed arrow mm-hmm. for these little guys, or it wouldn't be a bad typical. idea. And you've got time leading up to it. You don't need a heavy arrow to get the penetration in them. Yeah. So picking up a little speed, you know, I just don't think ten feet per second is going to make or break you. Yeah. You know, and I, I heard um, reading Chuck Adams' book when I was a kid, and it it talked about all the different game species, the twenty eight North America, and and he talked about coos deer. And I remember reading that, and I think that's what planted the seed in my mind of wanting to hunt them. And he talked about how challenging they were. And he also talked about how they jumped his string. And so he thought that they jumped his string when they were closer. So the way he started killing them was actually to take farther shots, the 40, 50, 60 yard shots is how he finally started killing those coups. That they jump at less. Now I have had really good luck on coups. Um, 
as far as jumping the string. I haven't had any of them jump the string. Right. Yep. Where, you know, I have had, I've had mule deer jump my string and axis. I, you know, they're a widely switched on deer, but they, they don't seem to get out of the way of my arrow too yeah. much. So, so that's been, been good. I mean, that's just, that's always my worst fear is that you do everything right and get your chance and execute your shot. <laughs> and he gets out of the way of the arrow. There's nothing more frustrating. And I, I think that could happen, but I've had pretty good luck with just my, my everyday hunting setup that I use for mule deer and elk and, and gotcha. taking that out there. Huh. Yeah. Yeah. I've been, uh, I've been fascinated with hearing people's thoughts on that just because, um, you know, they are such a small target. I mean, they're tiny. Mm-hmm. Um, that that little zone, the vitals are just, they're just so small that um, I was wondering if that's kind of a, um, something that, you know, more, you know, guys that have had a lot of experience chasing coups if they're going with a speed arrow or, or whatever, but that's interesting on a longer shot versus a shorter shot. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe it, just not hearing the shot go off at 60 versus a, you know, a 25 yard shot. They're they're jumping at the sound. Yeah, that's what Chuck Adams was saying, and I I always like to get close and kill him. And and what you did to sneak within 20 yards of that deer and have it all work out that is so awesome. That's what you're looking to do. And I I'm always looking to get close and kill him, but that that terrain is so tough to get close to those deer. It's so noisy. They're so switched on and there, there isn't a bunch of cover. And so a lot of times you get stuck watching from 80, a hundred yards out and just letting things, you know, happen in front of you and hoping it works out. But, but yeah, a lot of the shots over the years, my opportunities, I, I've gotten close shots. I think the, the first one, the big buck I killed was 60 yards but I had one of the satellites come by me at 20 yards and passed on him because I was right on that buck that was bedded at 60. Same scenario, guarding a doe from that other buck. Yeah. And when he stood up, I put a good arrow in him at 60. But, um, gosh, I, I missed one one year at, like, 35 yards. Yep. Hmm. Uh, I can't – I think um, – I think I shot right in front of him or something. It happened pretty quick, and he was chasing a doe. I think I got a quartering away shot, and I – I think I slid it right by his shoulder right there. Just missed my spot by a couple inches. They're so small. They're like shooting at a coyote. Oh, man. But you, I really focus on my accuracy leading up to the hunt and making sure my shooting is absolutely dialed and and um, and then make sure I execute when the coos deer gives me a chance. Yeah, I think the the, the size and, um, you know, all the people talking about them. Um, I was – I shot a lot going into that hunt. Good for you. I, I didn't have a lot of lead time, uh, you know, knowing about that hunt. I was invited down. But, um, man, I, sh- I took every opportunity <laughs> to really dial it in, just not wanting to get an opportunity down there because I know they're so rare and blow it. So, yeah, uh, yeah I, I spent a lot of time um, just shooting off my deck. And um, like you now, we've got wind about every day where we are. So that was a – that's kind of nice, actually, mm-hmm. um, learning it, how the wind works. Isn't it crazy how much uh, the wind oh, will man. drift an arrow at yep. different yardages? It, yep. It's an amazing learning curve. And even just a small thermal wind of just three to five miles an hour, you can hardly even feel at night how much that will drift your arrow. Yeah, yeah, those longer shots, it's a it's a difference. It's mm-hmm. a big difference. It so, is. no, it's uh, it's kind of a I, – I see it as a big bonus. And it's funny because I got, like, off my back or my front porch, it's kind of – covered like the wind isn't hitting me mm-hmm. but as soon as my arrow gets to off to the side of the house and then i've got two targets down in the grass um it hits that wind at that point <laughs> and uh 
it's like shocking what it does to it sometimes. That's what I do too, is I shoot out of my garage. So I don't like, I do practice holding in the wind, but I don't like to shoot every day holding in the wind because what happens is your pin floats off the target back on and it kind of forces you to make the shot go and teaches. Yeah. Target panic as you're trying to make it go when it's on the target. So I do the same thing as I shoot inside my garage so the wind doesn't blow my bow around, sure. but I can see the effect on the arrow. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. But man, so cool. Well, I, um, I'm so pumped that, that you're as hooked on coos deer as I am. So we'll have to share a camp and share a vantage point down there here. One of these years as I'm, I'm yes. sure you're going to be back down and man, congratulations. What a feat to kill a giant hundred inch coos on your first trip down. But I, I have to say that I'm not surprised. You have so much bow hunting skill. I was. Yeah. I was very surprised. <laughs> well, congratulations. That's a heck of a deer. I really want to see it in person. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks a lot, Brian. Uh, thanks for having me on here. And congrats to you, too. I mean, I saw your buck, and um, what a trip you had, you know, hunting down there with Miguel. And um, what a benefit having a guy like that that you can pick his brain and just – you know, shave so much off that learning curve, mm-hmm. I'm sure. So. I've learned so much from him. Yeah, yeah. he's a great coos deer hunter. But, yeah, That's I just um, I enjoy the process. So, yeah, I'll be back down there next year, I'm sure. So, yep. um, thanks a bunch, Ryan. We'll talk to you soon. All right. Thanks. All right. That's a wrap. Um, so, are you guys planning your coos trip for next year? Uh, I know I am. Um, those things are just a riot to hunt. But, yeah, you can hear how excited me and Ryan are. Like you say, we're so similar. Um, every time I get to, together with them and, and get chatting, we we have so much in common. But um, th- that guy, he he's just a, a, an awesome hunter. Oh, and make sure to check out um, – Ryan has his own podcast, uh, Hunt Harvest Health, and he does it with his wife, uh, Hillary. And Hillary is a doctor. She's super intelligent. There's tons of great information on their podcast. So I think we were doing this as a joint release, so he's going to release it on his side. I'm going to release it on my side. Uh, but make sure to check him out and show him some support. If you see a post on Instagram, make sure to comment on it if you if you like the podcast because um, I really like getting Ryan um, on here for some recordings. Uh, the guy's just a wealth of knowledge, and he he's everything, you know— he, he motivates me and he does everything the right way. Like he listens to this podcast as well, but he, he's, um, he, he's just practicing all the methods to make himself a better human and a, and a better hunter, you know, working to be in good shape, working to, to be the best shot he can, working on his research, uh, studying on places. And then when he gets on a hunt, he's totally focused, puts all his energy into it. He's a, a real patient hunter, but he's super skilled and, and um, he's just got those nuances dialed. And, and like I say, one of the best public land hunters out there. And so I love getting together with him and being able to compare notes um, and and to be able to press record and share it with you guys. I, I've been pumped to release this one for a while. I just love these conversations I have with that guy. But um, yeah, he's a, an awesome hunter, an awesome human being. So thanks again to, to Ryan for being on. And uh, with that, this podcast is brought to you by Taito Knives. Um, so Taito knives, uh, they're ultra lightweight, ultra sharp, they're replaceable blade knife. Um, they also have their fillet knives that are good for butchering. Um, they, they're just the, the, the best knives made. Um, I love it when too, you can get bright colors so you don't leave it behind on the ground. Um, they, you're always setting your knife down when you're butchering cause you'll cut off a quarter and then you got to set your knife down to pick it up and put it in the bag. And it's, it's really easy to lose place of your knife. When I was younger, I, I left a, a few things at, at a 
at a few kill sites. Yeah, I don't think much, but I think I lost a knife or two. I can't remember any specifics, but I know now I always do this double, triple check wherever I'm at, wherever that, that animal's at. So I'll have to think about if I can remember any um, situations where I left anything behind and share it on that Eastman's 150, the... Um, uh, the I'm an idiot podcast. <laughs> so, um, it should be a fun one, but, uh, yeah. Um, great podcast with Ryan. Uh, thanks to Tido nice for the sponsorship over there at Eastman's. Like I say, we're getting ready to do this one fifty. should be a great time on there and some good laughs. And, um, yeah, we're, we're sitting on some really good recordings and lining up some more. And so, um, you know, I'm, I'm just, uh, I, I'm, I'm in the process or I live the lifestyle of trying to become better and it's just sharing it with you guys. So I am so pumped. I mean, um, for a, a blue collar average guy like me to get to go to New Zealand is insane. And I leave here in, in less than a month. So, um, it, it's been super, it's been well below zero every single day for like the last 30 days. It's been snowing and blowing like crazy. Running's tougher. You're just two feet of snow out there trying to push two feet of snow. I've been skiing a lot, but just making sure I get in that work day in, day out. I'm I'm shooting my bow. I'm working on my bow. Uh, I'm getting in my runs. You know, any free time I have, I'm looking at maps and units and, and, and planning hunts and going through my gear, looking at any improvements I can make. Um, I want to be the complete package this season and a, a big part of it for me too is is you know making sure I have the time and making sure you know I'm not under the stress of a huge project while I'm trying to do it now we all need to work we all need to pay bills but I'm going to make sure I, I I get this time set aside where you know I'm going to go chase my my dreams and my goals and my ambitions and um, so yeah, just a ton of motivation on my side. I'm just putting in the work. I want to be as good as I can be. And I really want to have the best season I've ever had in 2019. So I'm setting up myself, setting up my life for it. And, uh, it's just sharing it with, with you guys. So, um, super pumped. Gosh, I've watched, um, I watched a great documentary the other night, this, um, free solo. And it just reiterates like having passion in your life and, and how much passion that guy has that he's willing to put his life on the line. But that free solo up El Capitan, um, what a great documentary. That was a super one. I, I think I told you guys, but I also watched that documentary. It's a guy in, in Bozeman, Jimmy Chin did it, which is the same guy that put together the free solo film, but Miro, um, was that M U R O? I think that was a great documentary. And then I watched another one last night, uh, the Dawn wall, um, with, uh, um, gosh, I just read his book too. Um, oh man, he was, he was in free solo. Um, um, Tommy, uh, God, I'm just drawing a blank, but anyways, it's a, it's a great move. Tommy Caldwell. That's his name. Yeah. I just, just read his book too. Um, it was a great one, but yeah. Um, I, uh, I can just relate and find a bunch of motivations from those documentaries and from climbers and that, you know, people that just live a passionate life, like, like we're meant to have these things that we're super excited about. And then to be able to, to dedicate, you know, not your entire life, but to dedicate a lot of your time into it, um, you know, which, which is pretty much my entire life, you know, family's always the most important and you need to work and need to pay bills. But what I love to do is to be in the mountains chasing game and, and um, it's just uh, 
it feels like where I'm meant to be, where I'm at my happiest. And I love trying to like solve those problems too. I love how challenging it is. And then, you know, trying to solve the equation and, and adapt on the fly. And, and, uh, we talking, I got a great podcast coming up with David Brinker and I don't want to ruin him, but he just talks about how creative hunters are. And you do, you have to have this outside the box approach when you're thinking of areas you're going to hunt, when you're adapting on the fly on a hunt, like there's all these challenges and it, it's just so difficult to find that success so when you do find it it means so much to you especially because you you put so much work into it so um i'm just loving life here in montana hopefully it's going to get a little bit warmer here but uh uh, i'm rambling on great podcast with ryan thanks to him thanks to Tito knives and thanks to you guys for all the support uh the the itunes subscribing and 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 leaving um reviews really helps me out and then uh, the Instagram, um, being able to engage with you guys there and give you support through Instagram. You know, it's just great to hear these stories of you guys being successful and, um, you know, implementing what you've heard here on the podcast. And, and really, it's up to you guys. You guys are the ones that are, that are dedicating yourself, putting in the work, getting better, and then you see success from it. But it's fun to have a small piece of that through the podcast and you guys share it with me. It's been fun at these shows to run into you guys. Um, but yeah, just really appreciate all the support you guys um have a good week and and uh check in with you next week